Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 109 of UAB Green and Told, original debut Monday, October 23rd, 2023. This podcast gives us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Take a listen back to past episodes at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold, Spotify, or the Apple Podcasts app. And while there, leave a written review so more alums can discover us. I'm Greg Barry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. For some alums, when they leave Birmingham after graduation, they sometimes lose touch with the university. As he'll share, while he's lived in Washington, D.C. for several decades, Amos Townsend has made a conscious choice to continuously remain in contact with UAB. I will never forget the opportunity and support that came to UAB. It is, it is my life to still come back as often as I can. For Amos, his decision to attend UAB came during the school's infancy as an autonomous university. And as he'll explain, that's something that swayed him. UAB had no baggage. They didn't have any of the uh, Alabama, no Auburn schoolhouse door stand crap, none of that. It had no segregationist past. And we'll also find out what took this Birmingham native away from his hometown, something that dates back to his days as a graduate student. And he said, you know, go, go look on the bulletin board. There's some announcements about some this new intern program that uh, that they've created that, you, you know, you might find interesting. Growing up as a black child in Birmingham during the 50s and 60s couldn't have been easy. With tremendous unrest, the Magic City was, well, less than magical. But despite its faults, even after high school graduation, Amos Townsend stayed in Birmingham. Well, he'll share with us what life was like as a student at a young institution. First, we need to know what he was like as a kid from Birmingham. In today's terms, probably a little bit of, a little bit nerdy. I was just a high school nerd. The only thing I didn't have was glasses back in those days. And uh, I wasn't an athlete or anything like that. And uh, as in those days, uh, kids who were just smart were sort of set apart, you know. They didn't bother us, you know. You didn't get invited to all those fun places and stuff, so. When you started to look at different options for colleges to go to university, what were ones that you were looking at at the time? I uh, looked into, um, I guess it was Wake Forest, UAB, uh, University of Illinois. Interestingly enough, I got a scholarship offer from uh, that Northern School. And as I was looking at the offer, it was to allow me a, a, a clothing allowance. And I remarked, why would I need a clothing allowance? And they said, well, you're from the South. You don't have any winter clothes for the kind of weather we have here. So that quickly got them taken off my list. And uh, I ended up uh, with UAB. Why ultimately UAB? Because obviously Wake Forest is a good university on its own, but you decided to stay in Birmingham as a Birmingham kid. As the first person in my peer group, my, my sister went to Birmingham Southern for a while, but uh, finished many years later. I was first one going as a uh, sort of self-financing student, and I come from a very, very uh, uh, humble background, so from that... From that point of view, uh, UAB had a good offer, and uh, it didn't hurt that it was at home, uh, so I didn't have to adjust to changing cities and all that. And, and they had no, no peer groups in my family to, to talk about college and what it's like to go away to college, so it didn't hurt that it was at home. What was really intriguing, of course, was that UAB was brand new. 
it, everything just fell together at the right time in the right circumstances. And of course, UAB had no baggage. Yeah. They didn't have any of the uh, Alabama, no Auburn, schoolhouse door stand crap, but none of that. It had no segregationist past. It had no Harvard feelings, as far as I could tell. So uh, being brand new was actually an attraction. The school may not have had that segregation, but the city did. Yes. How did you see that kind of change a little bit going from Smithfield to the campus of UAB and taking classes in what I assume are building one, two, and three? No, one, two, and three didn't exist when I started. Uh, when I started there, we were taking classes in what was Tidwell Hall and the uh, engineering building, which was around on uh, 19th and 8th Avenue, which was replaced by Mortimer Jordan Hall or something. It just didn't have the environment of what I would have expected. I mean, the other thing that, that I've learned over time, and, and it's, it's true in these cases, that a university, a, a top flight university has an influence on the entire community. Because uh, to be a, a university of uh, UAB status, they brought people in from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So that necessarily changed the environment in Birmingham because you had these uh, enlightened brainiacs coming to town to teach. And uh, so by, by definition, it, it, it was different. It had none of the vestiges of the Old South. Birmingham doesn't have the greatest history, especially when you look at the civil rights movement. Now, sure. it's a great history because it changed things. What was UAB like? Was it an accepting institution? Because here it is in the middle of Birmingham, which is known for all of these negative connotations. Actually, the, the, the university environment was something of a, uh, a haven because once you got over on the South side, it was his own world. It still is to this day. In fact, it's, it's a real big part of, of its own world over on the South side. So it was still the place where, where you were in something of, a, of its own cocoon as long as you were on campus, it was it was different. In those days, UAB was non-residential. The, uh, the only people who stayed on campus were medical and dental students who had families. That was the only housing they had. So I, I went home there every night. Actually, that was where the reality check would come back into play. Leaving UAB on the south side, uh, public transportation was not that great. So there were nights where I walked home from UAB back to Smithfield. I tell the story about there I was I was taking a class that let out at eight or nine o'clock on Thursday nights. So I would walk home with my books uh, from the south side and up 14th Street under the viaduct to get to the north side of town. And invariably, when I got over around Edward Chevrolet at 14th and Third Avenue North. The same patrol car would stop me just about every Thursday night with books in my arms going home. They asked me uh, in, in, in the style that was of the custom to uh, denigrate you, uh, boy, where are you going? Seems like every Thursday night it was the same answer. I'm on my way home. Where are you coming from? Coming from college, coming from UAB. They, they laugh and they drive off. So outside the bubble of the South Side, I was back in the, the real world of Birmingham. Let's talk about the bubble on the South Side. What opportunities did it have for young black males on campus for you to take part in? Whatever was available, we could partake in. They had a, 
We had, we had a lot of student activities that we would do at the uh, Baptist Student Union building. So that's where you met people and uh, hung out with again. It was not it was not a, a residential college, so people weren't staying around campus. You know, you get through with your classes and head for home or head to work. Uh, but I had the advantage of part of my uh, early days there. I had uh, work study, so I spent a lot of time in the uh, university hospital because I had a job in the pharmacy. The chores they let me do in there was interesting. Uh, and got a sight, a, a view of how hospitals work, big hospitals at that. At that. Well, not a whole lot of residential stuff to do, so we, we would typically go home. Uh, in, in my case, we were fortunate that uh, a group of us got together and decided we wanted to uh, uh, petition to have a fraternity uh, chapter at the university. So Dr. Campbell, uh, at the time, he was one of our champions who uh, encouraged us, well, go ahead and, go ahead and try it. And uh, so that's how we, we uh, got together and created the uh, Kappa Delta chapter of the Omega Sapphire Fraternity at, at UAB. So in the uh, spring of 72, we, we became the first traditional Black Greek organization at UAB followed by the others, what we, what we call the Divine Nine. And we had the dual responsibilities of being a, a Divine Nine analytic organization and the university's panalytic organization. We had to maintain memberships in both to meet our both the university commitment and the fraternity's commitment to uh, international commitment. That's when the fun started. Why was it important for you and the other brothers as a part of this charter membership into that fraternity to kind of come together and create that we were watching uh the campus grow student body grow and uh we were hanging out and and being friends and the the, the basic tenet of omega is built on friendship so the members of the fraternity first are friends and so as friends uh, we got together and, and men in our lives who had influenced us over the years uh happened to be Omega Men in my case. Uh people like Frank Adams who was a jazz saxophonist and a legendary jazz saxophonist, but he was my music teacher at Lincoln Elementary. His brother was uh Oscar Adams, the first uh black man on the Alabama Supreme Court, who were influences uh if you look around for men who are accomplished and on the forefront, chances are they were Omega Men like uh, Clyde Kirby was the first black man on the uh, black member of the Birmingham Board of Education. So having those guys as influences and being around them, uh, we, in, in all of our separate ways, we had those kinds of influences. So us coming together wanting to be like them was sort of a natural fit. With the overall demographic at UAB during the time that you were here and you got two degrees, what was the makeup? Were, were there a lot of other black students going to classes? Did you see a change, a transition over the years that you were in the classroom? Yeah, actually, the, the numbers grew every year. The uh, black population, particularly black population, really grew uh, every year. So I never felt uh, isolated. How did you see the university change in the eight years that you're on campus? Because I mean, it's changed a lot now since then, but I imagine over the course of that almost decade, there was a lot of transformation. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, part, part of it was the just the sheer growth of the university. Expanding as fast as it was expanding, you, you didn't have a, time, a lot of time, the university didn't have a lot of time to waste on silly stuff. I mean, you know, it it was growth and uh, accommodating the growth and in terms of uh, uh, footprint in the city, in the county, uh, all the way up to growth in numbers to where uh, they had to rapidly build buildings one, two, and three. And, and then the idea of jumping into athletics was another uh, big boom. It was nothing but growth. So you wound up studying political science for your undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. What was the goal of studying poli-sci while you were at UAB? I just liked it, and I tried being a biology major, thinking I was going to go to med school. That didn't go the way I thought. I count uh, Ed Lamont for being a good influence in those days. Uh, he went on to become uh, an assistant to uh, Mayor Arrington, I think. And uh, Odessa Woolfolk was teaching uh, at UAB at the time, director over at the uh, Civil Rights Museum. Dr. Kellerman, he, he absolutely enthralled me in politics. So. Anyway, that's, that's, that's how I ended up in political science. And, you know, the, the joke is that, you know, political science, you can't do much except become a lawyer and maybe a few other things. But you wound up getting a master's degree. You went back in urban administration. So that was kind of your doorway to your career, I imagine. What was the program like back in the 70s? It was, uh, at the time, UAB did not have a uh, uh, master's in public administration program. So the masses in urban administration was as close as UAB came. Things political, things about governance and uh, politics. I, I am still a politics junkie to this day. When I was finishing up my master's, just so happened, I was over and over one day, I ran into uh, Dr. Lamont. And he said, you know, go, go look on the bulletin board. There's some announcements about some this new intern program that uh, that they've created that you, you know, you might find interesting. So I went out the hallway, pulled a little sticker off and I took it home and read it. And that sure enough, they were creating what was called the uh, Presidential Management Intern Program under Jimmy Carter. Okay. And it was led by uh, Scotty Campbell, who had been the Dean of the uh, School of Public Administration at Syracuse. And he became the OPM director. And one of the things he was keen on was that he was graduating students with MPAs and they couldn't find jobs. So he convinced Carter to let him create this internship program in the federal government that focused on graduates with MPAs so they could come in at mid-level jobs in the government. Yeah, the program still exists today, but under, under the second Bush, they expanded it to people with any graduate degree. And uh, so still, it's called Presidential Fellows now, but uh, I applied for that that program what's enough to be one of the uh 250 people picked out of a thousand and i had uh, three job offers one was at the uh johnson space uh administration center in texas mm -hmm. one uh, was at, at kennedy in uh cape canaveral or the irs in washington and after going through that process of evaluating the three offers i came to washington and uh, because the irs had an internal intern program, and they knew what they would do with an intern. The other government agencies, this was all new to them, so they didn't know, they couldn't tell me exactly what the program was going to be like. 
So that uncertainty was enough for me to say, I'll go up where they know what they're doing. Now, Johnson and Kennedy sounds sexy. The IRS does not sound glamorous at all. So what was the big draw of going there? You mentioned that the other two were kind of newer, so it was more established um, location. Plus, you mentioned the internship. Was there anything beyond that that drew you to the IRS? No, other than they were organized. They they knew how they were going to use interns and uh, they sold us on on the fact that they were going to respect the program's special tenants and get us access to uh, Secretary of the Treasury and administration people that, that IRS people don't normally get access to. And uh, so they were going to live up to the tenants of the program to give us a broader exposure to uh, the top levels of the federal government. It was a, a, a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time. So for a lot of my colleagues, some of my colleagues who came up here and went through that and we came in as, as analysts and we had access to some of the top people in the federal government until your two years were up and they put you into a real job in the agency. Well, some people thought they were going to still have those kind of contacts and ability to reach out to the Secretary of uh, Defense and, or the, uh, the Attorney General, or the, you know, that kind of, kind of thing. Uh, and uh, that's not the case once the internship is over. You just become a regular government grunt. So people say the program was either oversold or underrealized, depending on what your, your perspective. So I, I think it is oversold about what happens after you become a regular government employee. But I was very fortunate in my career. Um, after my internship, I was offered several kinds of jobs in the IRS, generally administrative jobs, uh, leading administrative organizations which I took, but I I ended up my career as an IT executive overseeing software development project, major projects. And that was not what I trained for, but I learned enough to, to be in charge. When you went up to Washington during your internship, was that the first time you'd ever been there? It was not the first time I'd been. Uh, I had come up in the summer of 76 okay. uh, on vacation. And uh, it just so happened, I, I chose Washington to come to on vacation. So I had a little bit of uh, exposure to, to the city by the time we came up in 78. A little bit of exposure compared to actually living there has to be different. Absolutely. You... <laughs> what was it like? Well, one thing was money. Uh, I, thought I, I thought I was getting a substantial raise when I came to Washington. I did on Alabama terms. However, the style to which I was used to living in Alabama on what I was making and the style to which you could afford to live in DC, even with that raise, was altogether different. I don't regret any of it at, at, at this point, Not obviously, because I'm still here after, after my 33 years of IRS. I've been retired now for 11 years, but I'm a consultant, so I'm still here and I'll, I'll be here. You have stayed in D.C., as you just mentioned, for 30-plus years, and yet you remain very connected and involved with this university. Why do you do that, despite living you know, hundreds upon hundreds of miles away? Because uh, I will never forget the opportunity and support that came to UAB. I will never uh, be able to just... Uh, let that go as a, as a piece of memory. It is it is my life. We still come back as often as I can 
my uh, oldest daughter, who was born and, and raised up here in Maryland, attended UAB and graduated. Uh, my 18-year-old is, is going to come to UAB for her four years. And um, while I was there, my mother eventually came to college for the first time and came to college at UAB and got her bachelor's and her master's and retired from the Stern Library. I have a younger brother who attended there, um, cousins and folks that I've encouraged to look at UAB. I serve on the uh, alumni board of the uh, College of Arts and Sciences. So, I mean, I'm, I'm engaged and um, trying to be a good alumni giver and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm, I'm still committed. And UAB has never let me down. They've always expanded and been inclusive and been progressive about everything it does. And I can never, never be embarrassed or not pleased by that. As a nerdy kid growing up in Smithfield, did you ever think you'd have the success in your career that you did that led you to Washington, D.C.? I, I, had, I had no real expectations because, I mean, uh, everything, in my, everything in my life it, it has been a blessing because to be in work study, working around the hospital, and then work study took me to being a dispatcher. Then Ed Lamont in the hallway, take a look at this job offering, this new program they're doing in Washington. And once I came to Washington in my career, I, I tell people all the time, they say, what was your five-year plan? I never had one uh, because uh, I've been blessed to have opportunities put in front of me by being in the right place at the right times. I only applied for about four or five jobs in my 33 years at IRS. Most of my jobs I got was, we need you to come and do this. So I, I've never had a five-year plan, and I don't know how people react to five-year plans, particularly if it doesn't go your way. So never having a plan left me no room to be disappointed. That's Amos Townsend. Amos graduated from the College of Arts and Sciences with an undergraduate degree in political science in 1975 and earned his Master of Arts in Urban Affairs from the same school three years later. After retiring from the IRS in 2011, he's been working as a director at the Federal Management Systems in Washington, D.C. As someone who continues to stay in touch with the university, despite living nearly 750 miles away, Amos definitely has a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. I have a home alma mater of which I am enamored with, always will be, love it, and will promote it every chance I get. And because uh, a lot of people have no clue what UAB has to offer. Be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media, just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!